everyone, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. This is a podcast where we are essentially immature intellectuals. We, we're just talking about this. We have to put a disclaimer. Yeah, yeah we're going to talk about it now. We, <laughs> we are trying to be generalists, which uh-huh. means that we are attempting to learn all of the things that we would like to have had in our education and true. bring those things to you in a way that is you know, as, as unoffensive as we can make it, yes. right? Where it's kind of fun and easy to digest and basically give you the education that we wish we had. So we are not... Yeah, yeah. I guess that's enough disclaimer on this one. Um, Undermining us right off the bat. Yeah, right off the bat. But <laughs> welcome perfect. to the podcast, yeah, everybody. Good. So, so what my 10th graders do when I ask them to read the thing that they wrote for homework, they're like, oh, this is just like super crappy and I like wrote it in my bed and it's like garbage, but here we go. And I was like also texting and watching like yeah. some friends yeah. and stuff. So, And I'm like, noted, I will grade, I will grade what you've produced. <laughs> True. Are you going to grade this podcast? So grade us fairly. Oh, no, apparently, yeah. we all, okay. apparently we do We'll, we'll grade this podcast for you. We yeah. can grade it on iTunes. Uh, apparently. <laughs> and, some t- and for some reason, it's either like an A or just like, like one a, star or five star. An yeah, F. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That's the internet, though. That is true. What's worse is the, the three stars that are like, love the podcast. And it's like, oh. <laughs> Why man. is this three stars? Yeah. It's it was hard, actually, guys. I said this in the AMA, but I'll say here, we have gotten a lot of really positive reviews over the last week. So thank you, listeners, for sure. putting those in there. Great. Clearly, so for those new listeners, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we are, my like, name is AJ Hanenberg. Yeah. I'm joined by Graham Donaldson. Hey. And the newly double-fathered Thomas Magby. Hello. Double dad. Is that what that's called? Double dad? I don't okay. know. Okay. He's, but he's congratulations, Mazel Tov. Much appreciated. Thank yeah. you. He's got some kids. Yeah. Wife, uh, wife two is healthy, or wife two, that's embarrassing. Whoa. Child two is healthy and wife is doing well, so all is good Excellent. in the Magby household. And yes. all I know right is there. that I do this podcast for myself, and mm-hmm. I couldn't give two poops what happens with these other fellas. <laughs> I'm out for me yeah, and good. my own gain, and so you can find my own personal well, Patreon then. at no. support AJ. Well, I guess that's not even how that works, right? Nope. Can, I, can I have other people support me? You can make a Patreon for anything. What are you talking about? No, I mean like uh, with the, the whole theory that the... Oh this, no! That we're you will about. never like, live I can, I can't for the do sake. A Patreon. You will never live for the sake of another man, nor ask man to live for yours. Wow! Yeah, darn right. Don't go to my Patreon. I'll get money when I when I have to. Yeah. Right. So, uh, heck with you guys. Yeah. I don't care. You're listening. Yes. Graham. Yes. So <laughs> for that, with that introduction. So today we are going to be talking about. And first, we got to get this off the bat because apparently I can't pronounce things. Um, how do we pronounce your name? What's the what's the general consensus? Ayn or Ayn? Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. So we're going to be talking about. We're going to get a scholar of Ayn Rand who's like that is. Oh my a, word! Yeah, like, right. it's Ayn. I'm so sorry. I can hear the eye roll clicky I'm t- so keyboard sorry. as we speak. Yes. Um, but anyway, <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, um, a little bit of Ayn Rand's philosophy as depicted in a speech that a character gives in her in one of her books. So the book is called Atlas Shrugged. So I'll, I'm, I'm going to try to like, we're not going to do the whole speech. There's a second half of the speech where she really takes a big critical eye to the theological, the Christian theological position of original sin. And I feel like that's a whole other episode. And so maybe uh, we'll do another one if this one goes well um, on it. Or maybe we'll just ignore it. And, Please keep listening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I swear. This is going to be okay. spent the last three anyway, minutes just totally undermining this. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so you maybe we'll, we'll, we'll probably, no, I am going to look at that in a, in a future date because okay. I feel like that one needs a lot more teasing out um, of, of her theological position on um, on original sin. So that's sort of like the back half of the speech. But as the conceit, let me just sort of uh, um, sort of set up what is happening in this book. So the book Atlas Shrugged is, Atlas Shrugged is a thousand page book about trains yes <laughs> that's all you need to know no um you're not far off is it really about yeah, trains it's yeah, about trains for sure 
So it's essentially about um, uh, basically like innovators and businessmen and people that make the world go start disappearing. And it seems that they're disappearing out of their own volition. And wait, wait. So people are disappearing. People yes. are disappearing. Um, it's so why? Yeah. Why did you choo choo choose? Oh my word! Oh my word! Don't even. Don't <laughs> get perfect. us off track, Hannibal. Ah, hey. <laughs> I don't have anything. All sorry. Right. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, ah. I get it. Okay, so people are disappearing, <laughs> and, and the, the people one. that are disappearing are. Uh, People who are innovators and inventors and make the world go, and people who are good at their craft and real craftsmen. And so they're, they're, the, they're the engine. They're the, the engine of society. <laughs> yeah. And they disappear, and rumor has it that they are opting it out works. of the world. Yeah. And they're opting out of the world, and they're going somewhere else. And they're opting out of the world because they've had some sort of interaction with a, name, with a man named John Galt. And so apparently this guy named John Galt is like talking to people and whatever he's doing, he's convincing them that they should opt out of the modern world and go take their talents elsewhere. Who is John Galt? And then, then that is the very first question. That is the very first sentence in the book. Who is John Galt? Yeah. This podcast isn't necessarily, I'm not talking about the, the story, the fountainhead in this podcast. Um, Atlas Shrugged. It, sorry. Uh, sorry. The fountainhead is another book. Atlas yeah. Shrugged. Um, uh, there's a bunch of characters and they're trying to figure out what they should do and uh, and they're working in the world and but towards the end of the book there is a radio address that John Galt um, delivers and it's like about a hundred pages of monologue it's really long it's really long and can I also share I looked up the audiobook it's a 60 hour audiobook oh my so there's your other point of yeah. reference so, so, so this other- particular radio show is what like Eight hours, it's ten be, hours. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge chunk of the book. It is yeah. a huge chunk of the book. It is a long be, yeah. chunk of the book. And as I said, sort of the back half is where she begins to talk about uh, sort of original sin. And and it's one of those, uh, I'm sure people would take issue with this, but it's one of these things where like she tells the the, the gist of everything in the first like six or seven pages and yes. then the rest of it is, um, is coda basically. Or building up to this 100-page treatise, right? Like, there's a story that's, like, just to get you... You're right, yes. And the whole book is a story is just to get you to this treatise where this man delivers his philosophy. And the treatise is the best stuff is in the first few pages? And the treatise is the best... um, I feel like that's So really this whole book should be, like, eight pages? No, let me... So this is... So um, we need to be careful with talking about Ayn Rand because there's, like, a cartoon version of her that kind of exists in the mind on the internet. And then there's the actual books that she's written and the philosophy she's had. And there's a lot of people who roll their eyes with Ayn Rand. Can I read the quote? Uh, yeah, go for it. I'm, I actually have it in front of me, so I'm not going to butcher it like last time. <laughs> so this is like, I'm, listeners, maybe you've heard this before. There are two novels that can change a bookish 14-year-old's life, The Lord of the Rings and Atlas Shrugged. One is a childish fantasy a pop-up just occurred. That's the one thing that could have ruined this. One is a childish fantasy that often engenders a lifelong obsession with its unbelievable heroes, leading to an emotionally stunted, socially crippled adulthood, unable to deal with the real world. The other, of course, involves orcs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so that kind of, that joke kind of typifies a lot, of a lot of how people sort of dismiss or react to Ayn Rand. Um, so there's a lot of that going around. And so I don't think that's necessarily fair when you're talking about someone who's put forward a, what they hope is a coherent system of, of like philosophy. So I, right. I feel like, so we should at least interact with it on its own terms. But on the other hand, a lot of the critiques that are the jokes are valid critiques, but I think like they should be taken, um, maybe not in the spirit of like Duncan honor, but, right. but sure. as well as critiques. Um, because, uh, anyway, because yeah, as I was thinking about this, it's like one of those things where, 
you can probably get behind with 80% of what's being said, and then the last 20%, you're like, wait, whoa, no, no. I don't know how I feel about that. So it's it's that kind of thing going on. Anyway, okay, whatever. Uh, I've read some Nietzsche books like that where I'm Is like, I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm like, whoa, I'm, yeah. not, I'm no <laughs> yeah, longer no, on board. I think that's I a fair that's a fair uh, comparison where it's 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 there's a lot going on there where the problem is and maybe this is true of the existentialist episodes we've done where the problem is rightly um, diagnosed, but the solution just doesn't just doesn't seem to fit with kind of human experience and reality. And that's kind of the joke in that in that quote maybe where they said like it creates a sort of an idealistic, emotionally stunted fourteen year old. It's like yeah, because you, you, so you, you, you have a main character who basically is allowed to do whatever he wants to because he is smart. Smart, a titan of industry, has created this like new metal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, if I'm remembering again, you're not going to go into the story, but I think he like cheats on his wife and yeah, is like yeah. proud he's, of it. Yeah, and there's no like apology. It's mm-hmm. like I, I, as a great man, can do whatever I want yes, to. Yes, and you would see how that's like not a good character for a 14 year old to read about. So you're, so you're saying in this, the doctor knows you have strep, but he's giving you like boiled toad <laughs> um, rather than antibiotics. I guess, yeah. But the, the thing is, he deeply believes that it's that it's going to work. It, it also depends on the problem you're trying to solve because if Ayn Rand's concerns are around collectivism, then individualism and doing whatever you want is the answer. Yeah. Even if it leads to like bad moral outcomes, that's not what she's worried about. Mm-hmm. She's worried about um, all innovation being stopped because of these things being taken away from the creators and the makers. Good. Right? So let's get in. Yeah, let's see. We're maybe we're getting a little step ahead of us. Yeah, sure. Let's get into the philosophy itself. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then I'm hoping that we can maybe... Uh, it's interesting because Dostoevsky, a hundred years before her, uh, presents a very similar thing in one of his characters in *Crime and Punishment*. This idea that there's two kinds of people in the world, and maybe we'll sort of draw those lines as we go forward. People who've listened to this podcast, uh, who um, in the past have known that we've done episodes on *Crime and Punishment*, and that AJ and I teach it every year, and we have lots to say about it. But anyway, okay. So uh, maybe I'll just read a, a paragraph wherein she pretty much sums up. Uh, the thought, and this is the John Galt speaking, but this is it, this is clearly uh, Ayn Rand's uh, sort of personal philosophy, which she called objectivism. Yes, and um, there are objectivist schools. There are there maybe you're saying there was an objectivist club at UT. Society, There's yeah, society. For sure. yeah. Uh, the Cato Institute is probably geeked up about objectivism. I was telling Graham that I was briefly involved with the Objectivist Society. They would give all, give these like lectures or whatever that I found interesting. So yeah, that was at UT, and I think it was the Cato Institute that supported a lot of that stuff. Former Federal Reserve Chairman um, Alan Greenspan was actually one of her acolytes. He was like a young man in her intellectual circle. Yeah, so I mean, she's, she's I did not know about yeah, until which is awesome about that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so here is John Galt speaking. That's maybe a good summation of kind of the direction that this, this philosophy is going in. My morality, the morality of reason is contained in a single axiom. Existence exists and in a single choice to live. The rest proceeds from these. To live, man must hold three things as supreme and ruling values of his life. Reason, purpose, self-esteem. Reason as his only tool of knowledge, purpose as his choice of the happiness which that tool must proceed to achieve, self-esteem as his inviolate certainty that his mind is competent to think and his person is worthy of happiness, which means is worthy of living. Okay, now she has breakdowns of what all those things mean, but that's kind of like... First of all, that's a taste. I keep saying she, even though it's a male character speaking it. So, 
uh, I should refer to John Galt. Um, so that is sort of a taste of a, the style of this 100-page yes. thing. It's very bombastic in that way. Uh, but those are the three things. Hanberg, you looked like you were going to say something. Nope, just oh, thinking. Okay, cool. <laughs> Think right. about it. So I plan on blowing this whole thing up somewhere. I now, appreciate later. it. Yeah, we're not, we're not nearly at the 20 we're minute mark. Right, when we get to the 40-minute mark, please, I happen. say, thing, I've got some things to say. Usually, so for new listeners, apparently my MO is to think real hard during the first half of the podcast and then just explode the whole thing at the end. And so I'm sorry if I've no, done we love that. You. And if you're really great. into Dude, this. It's a formula that works. <sighs> okay. this far. Yeah. So, I feel like um, I'm the villain. Right? The f- I'm the guy I'm the guy that comes like, ah, oh, you're having a party? <laughs> We're the ones bringing bad ideas. So, so we, we need this. At, the, at its very core... Um, the philosophy has a couple of presuppositions. One, the, the, the world exists and it can be comprehended and perceived by human beings. That's, that's a big deal. Uh, and that seems like a, well, yeah, duh. But, um, so she is very much against any kind of, uh, relativism in perception. Now there can be, like, we can look at something and say that they are different, that we can sort of like perceive them in different ways. Um, slightly, but she says there is a there is a world that exists and we can perceive it. She like, disagrees with Musk that it's all simulation. Yes, we are not in the Matrix. That sure. there is a there is a world. Um, we all, we all exist. Is, yeah. Welcome. So existence exists. Nature is there. Our mind can perceive it. Um, and then um, the uh, the second part of that then is that. Um, was there reason? Was there, the yeah, so reason is the sort of the function of man. This is what separates us from the animals. Um, a plant, so she sort of talks about survival. So a plant survives by, you know, photosynthesizing and taking in nutrients, but it cannot do elsewise. Uh, it doesn't, it cannot choose to not live. Right. An animal cannot choose to not live. It is going to eat. It has instincts. It is going to act out of those instincts and do everything it can to try to survive. Right. We cannot talk about penguins. Don't even. No, no, I'm not talking about penguins. Oh. I'm, I was, do you want a quick story about my cat? Sure. <laughs> so the whole animals, well, first of all, plants can definitely choose not to live. Tell that to the succulents I try to keep alive. That's um, your fault. That's, that's not that. <laughs> Second of all, our cat, um, for, got really sick for some reason. Aww. We didn't know what happened. And so she just wasn't eating and she was puking and we were so curious. So we took her to the vet and they're like, well, sometimes when you change their food, they throw a fit and they oh. don't eat and they don't feel good. And then they don't eat because they don't feel good and they don't feel good because they don't eat. And so they will essentially Go throw on. a fit and kill themselves wow. because they are, the they're so picky about food. And so we had to force feed this dumb cat there so she would stay alive. So in that case, they can choose to not live, but it's more like an accident. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then her point is that there is mankind is the, is the only creature that has this capacity to almost like auto self-destruct can choose to not live as she says. And the way that one does that is by letting other people think for you. Um, so whether or not, uh, so that is either like believing things without testing them yourself or allowing other people to sort of tell you what's right and you just sort of mindlessly go along with it. That's, that to her is sort of anathema. Uh, I guess if you could want to boil down this objectivist philosophy into one virtue, it would probably be that she um, highly values authenticity of self and honesty Sure. That you, if you are right, you are right because you are right. If you are wrong, you need to own it. And if you aren't, you're being inauthentic and uh, you're being a coward. And you just need to own your wrongness in the face of all the facts and all of the uh, the realities of the world. Everybody can perceive that you're wrong. And if you're going to pretend that it's right, you are choosing death. You are not choosing life. 
It's like an authenticity, not just to, I think this way, therefore I should live it. It's mm-hmm. like, it's authentic. It's true to the world around you. Mm-hmm. That's the part you started with at the beginning. Yes. So you can choose, choose to live. And by live, she means um, live as a rational being yes. in this world and as a rational being perceive the world and have basically the nature of the, of reality inform your decisions about what to do for survival um, and happiness can only come when you are somebody who is basically submitting to nature mm. um, and submitting to what is real and what is actual out there. Um, she says that's really re- where happiness can come from. Or you can, or you can sort of rail against that. And so let's see if we can find a quote where she's talking about this. Um, no, you do not have to live as a man. It is an act of moral choice, but you cannot live as anything else. And the alternative is that state of living death, which you now see within you and around you. The state of a thing unfit for existence, no longer human and less than animal. A thing that knows nothing but pain and drags itself through its span of years in agony of unthinking self-destruction. No, you do not have to think. It is an act of moral choice, but someone had to think to keep you alive. Right? So she basically has this, um, uh, she says, uh, fundamentally the world, people kind of self-select into these two camps. People who are, base, who are going to look at the world and say, this is the way it is, nature is the way it is, reality is the way it is, I am, and I am going to make a go of surviving in it and use my reason to answer questions about the universe and try to make my existence enjoyable, pleasurable, meaningful, and there's a passage where she talks about work, which we'll, we'll get into that. Or you can be the kind of person that says... Um, that tries to sort of say that it is not so, that A is not A, that, um, um, that if you just ignore it, if you just pretend like it is not the case, then you can maybe kind of spin, if you are clever enough to kind of keep that lie going and convince other people about that lie, um, you can maybe keep yourself going, but that's a society that is eventually going to like truck itself down to death. So she says this sort of, people sort of self-select into these two camps. You can be this person who does and who is and who chooses life, or you can be this person who um, um, basically um, shirks from responsibility, hides from it, and um, and chooses death. Is there a – I don't remember this. Is there any sense of – can anyone make that choice or is it kind of predetermined? Yes. Okay. Anybody can make that choice. So I don't think it's a predetermined thing. I'm just wondering because at some point you'll take it back to Dostoevsky, but like this isn't a – some people are born great and they're just that way. This is a you choose to live yeah. in accordance yeah. with reality or not. I think she's she's definitely sort of like democratic in that way. Whereas sure. you're right, I think in, in Dostoevsky's, at least in the voice of Raskolnikov, it's like um, uh, you're born with it. You're either great kind or of you're thing. not. Yeah. Uh, but that's also kind of unclear as well with Raskolnikov. So, um, and then the, um, uh, the moral implica- implications of this are the, the famous last line of the John Galt speech, which was, I kind of quoted it at AJ at the beginning as a joke, uh, but let's shoot, let me see if I can find it here. Um, I swear, this is John Galt ending, by my life and my love of it, that I will never live for the sake of another man, nor ask another man to live for mine. So it's this ethos of like extreme... Like self-actualization. Self-actualization <clears throat> and yes. So the reason why, yes. So a lot of... Ayn Rand's philosophy is also tied up in kind of like the big movement that we're see that you see in um, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. So I don't think he would necessarily. I don't think he's a big. He doesn't talk about Ayn Rand very much. I haven't listened to enough of him. Don't know. But it's that same kind of thing. 
like, pull yourself together. No one's going to get you out of this. Figure it out. It's up to you. Um, you know, uh, make your bed. That's his sort of big thing, right? right. Um, she has um, a very sort of similar ethos. Um, um, but you, you know, you might hear that quote and think, well, then how does anyone ever get married or how are there ever relationships? And it's, it's the mutual satisfaction of both members of that. Yes, exactly. Because I think a lot of, like the initial pushback is that it sounds really bad. Again, I've referenced before, she has an essay about why selfishness is good, mm-hmm. which is like a bad title. But the, like, take the core concept of you're not living as a martyr to just please other people for the sake of pleasing other people. You're living a life where your closest relationship to a husband or wife is one where you're both deeply satisfied by the relationship. Yes. Your relationship with your friends is one where you're both deeply satisfied by the friendship. And so that's the way in which that self-interest is driving you. You're leading in a business because you enjoy the work that you're doing and want to keep doing it, or you like the money or whatever. So like it, it, on first, when you first hear it, it's like, you sound like a jerk, but there's really something to it of you live a fulfilled life. Yeah. And then the, um, and so then this sort of frames up her whole sort of, uh, moral framework and the moral framework is to, um, it's not stoic in that way, but it is kind of to, um, well, yeah, it, it, it gets wrapped up in the, in the idea of like, like being selfish, like working yes. for your own enjoyment and doing the things that you love to do. And, um, because you are a free mind who is wanting to know, experience and understand the world and carve your place out, pardon me, carve your place out in it. Um, and so, um, Let's see. I'm trying to find um, a great example where she says that. Let me just talk about, yeah. So let me, maybe that's the, 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 where she talks about productivity is a good example. So she has this, or sorry, again, he, John Galt, Ayn Rand speaking through John Galt. Right. Um, that passage, uh, that paragraph that I read where she said, uh, the morality of reason is contained in a single axiom, existence exists, and in a single choice to live. After that, there are a number of virtues that are presented. Rationality, independence, integrity, honesty, justice, which is a really interesting one, productiveness, and pride. And these are all seen as um, these um, um, virtues. Right. Um, Feels very American. It is very American. Now, so her history is an interesting one. She grew up in Russia, Russia collectivist communist Russia, um, and moved to the U.S. And so she was, you know, growing up in a time when you see the, the, you know, the Soviet Union beginning to stamp out individuality, to um, absorb, and if anybody came up with a new idea or something like some sort of, in, um, you know, um, invention, well, they don't get to go off and profit about um profit from it in the marketplace. It gets absorbed into the state and the state gets to use it. And the inventor is like patted on the head and said, thank you for serving the motherland, right? And so she found this to be absolutely reprehensible. And so she sees the freedom that comes in the West with a free market system where if you, you, um, she basically, yeah, where you can go off and you can trade off of your self-actualized rational morality. (laughs) She sees that as the ultimate expression of human freedom. So for her, the more, the biggest moral, um, agent that can exist is what she calls the trader. 
Mm. Somebody who, and this is, I'm sure that is a paragraph that has launched a thousand, like, uh, you know, thinkorswim accounts, right? Um, but, uh, or like Robin Hood accounts. Yeah, right. But, um, but she uh, says, like, the, the, the highest moral action is the person who um, basically survives, you know, kills what he eats, or eats what he kills, survives off his own ingenuity, can offer value in the world, and people are willing to pay for it. And if he doesn't have anything of value, then he's not going to make it. Right. Not going not gonna to make it. If we're talking about internet. Um, Crypto. Internet culture. Um, let's see. The symbol of all relationships among such men, the moral symbol of respect for human beings is the traitor. We who live by values, not by loot, are traitors both in matter and in spirit. Where is that? T-R-A-D-E-R. T-R-A-D-E-R. A traitor is a man who earns what he gets and does not give or take the undeserved. A traitor does not ask to be paid for his failures, nor does he ask to be loved for his flaws, etc., etc. So, um, you know, you can sort of see that it's this, it's this ethos of um, a rugged individualism. You go off into the world. You have all the tools you need for success. Reason, the perception of reality, and if you are successful in that, you should be rewarded for it. If you are unsuccessful in that, like, justice has been brought um, and uh, yeah, so th- there is like a, um, at first blush, an unfeeling, right. an uncharitable nature to this, right. um, uh, which is, I think, a fair criticism. Her retort, if I'm fair to her, would be um, paying somebody or, or, or helping somebody who is not willing to help themselves is a culture of death that, and that you are not ultimately helping that person you are sort of allowing their misery to, to extend itself. I think that's probably what her response would be. Oops, but knock the mic. And that may be something we can talk about in a second. But I'm just trying to, like, frame, frame everything that we've got going on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe, so let, let me read that section where she talks about uh, productiveness. Okay. Because I think this, this, um, this fits into uh, sort of these virtues that she was talking about. Uh, this is one of, the, one of the, the core virtues of John Galt's view, worldview, or his philosophy. Productiveness is your acceptance of morality, your recognition of the fact that you choose to live. The productive work is the process by which man's consciousness controls his existence, a constant process of acquiring knowledge and shaping matter to fit one's purpose, of translating an idea into physical form, of remaking the earth in the image of one's values, that all work is creative work if done by a thinking mind, and no work is creative if done by a blank who repeats an uncritical stupor, a routine he has learned from others. That your work is yours to choose, and the choice is as wide as your mind, that nothing more is possible to you, and nothing less is human. Uh, that to cheat your way into a job bigger than your mind can handle is to become a, f- uh, a fear-corroded ape of borrowed motions and borrowed time, and to settle down into a job that requires less than your mind's full capacity is to cut your motor and sentence yourself to another kind of motion, decay, right? So um, uh, um, this is a suffer no fools uh, uh, kind of way of looking at the world. Um, Justice is calling a thing what it is. Um, If somebody is productive and is doing a good, um, you call it that and that person is, uh, is valuable. If somebody is mooching and is not and is demanding things without any work, then you call that what it is, and that person is not someone that demand that should get our charity, but is someone that should sort of receive our scorn. Anyway, 
that I think that kind of essentially like encapsulates um, the view. Um, there are um, moral implications of this, and you, you get it into those kinds of um, uh, little little things that we're familiar with with her, like greed is good, and um, uh, the purpose of human life is to sort of um, act on your not. Not your desires, but act on your reasoned out. Um, you, you use your will to perceive nature, to tell you what you ought to do, and then you should go and do it. Do it, right. Yeah. yeah. And there's not really a place for emotion to sway any of those things. There's I, not a place for emotion to sway those things. Um, and I don't know, is that where is that the objectivity of objectivism? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And she doesn't really have a, a place of someone who's like, this is awesome. I really love torturing babies, right? Like she doesn't have a place for like abject cruelty. If somebody looked at the world and said, nature is a place where the, where the powerful dominate, where the powerful uh, uh, dominate the weak and I'm powerful. And so, and I like it. And so by dominating the weak, I am um, living a happy life. Well, wouldn't you want to say that everyone below that guy should be like, heck with you, and then tear him, tear him down and remake it in their image? Yeah, the one place where she gets to talking about basically like an interpersonal, let's see. Yeah, this is where she sort of talks about, um, about conflict. Um, um, when I disagree with a rational man, I let reality be our final arbiter. If I am right, he will learn. If I am wrong, I will. One of us will win, but both will profit. Right. Whatever may be open to disagreement, there is one act of evil that may not, the act that no man may commit against others and no man may sanction or forgive. So long as men desire to live together, no man may initiate. Do you hear me? No man may start the use of physical force against others. So this idea being that Sort of the, the the unforgivable sin is the use of the gun to coerce um, the free thinking man into acting against his rational self interest. Sure. Um, but why? Yeah, sure. Like I, I don't yeah. see how that fits in with the rest of she what was, she would say has it's been the rational position, right? Reason reveals it, or whatever she said. But at like, the beginning but that, that, but that's my very question: right. is how does reason reveal that I shouldn't shoot somebody if greed if is good and like doing my own will is pretty much the whole of the law? Because if you're doing it to take his stuff, well, then you're not living according to reason. You are now the taker. You're now the right. you're now the looter. You are now sort of something below human. You have not earned that, and so your own sense of integrity and honesty and authenticity of self should scream against you, and everybody and everyone, all those those honorable people should look at you and see you as substandard. Right. I was as I was sort of preparing this, I was I don't know if this is work, so I sort of posit this as a possibility. This may be the closest we get to a modern attempt at reproducing an ancient honor society oh, yes. way of, of of existing in the world. Yeah, it feels Roman. She would very, yeah. it feels Roman. She, I feel like this it would be something that uh, an old honor society like a Viking society or an old honor so- society based on honor like some sort of um, militant tribal society. There's, You know how you see those maps of the world and it says like the world's kind of divided into three different kinds of, of society. You have like public shaming those who center around public shaming, those who center around honor, and those who center around like internal internal guilt. Mm. Uh, and I feel like 
people who come from the honor society, um, maybe I'm getting them wrong. I think I'm getting it wrong. But people for whom honor is the core driver of action would look at this and be like, well, yeah, this makes total sense. Right. And we Westerners who are more about internalized guilt are like, oh my goodness, this is so, I don't know how I feel about this. Because I know you're not going into the story, but uh, all these people have disappeared from the 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 real world. I don't yeah. know what to call it. They've disappeared from the world. It's all the, again, titans of industry, people who are inventors, the makers are leaving society and they're going to this place, Galt's mm-hmm. Gulch, I think is the name of it, mm-hmm. but this place that John Galt runs and they have there's a lot more to it, but essentially they're taking menial jobs for each other. They're mm-hmm. running a very simple society there with a fixed money supply, but the money only flows to people who deserve that money. So it's not just the one industrialist taking all the money. It's kind of a, it's almost like a vote for this is a good person or a person. Like a merit system. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's your honor shame side. But then they are all also working on their own intellectual yes. projects. Yes. Um, and some could be, um, like using like physics in nature, like creating better sources yep. of producing energy, right. and some are other projects of like John Galt is a essentially a philosopher. Like he yep. is a, I guess what you call him like an influencer, right? Yes, like sure. yes. or something like his project is to basically call. He's like the the prophet calling people to come to this society. But you go yeah in the story you go to Galt's Gulch and like people who you know ran ran these giant corporations are like shining shoes are like shiny shoes yeah. and doing small menial tasks yeah. and are the happier for it because they are being adequately paid for what they're doing and, yes. and there's like a purity of of compensation and stuff but that compensation it, it there's no difference between like the honor you receive in that society and the money you have correct like she sees this kind of like one-to-one connection mm-hmm. and that might be again like a thing that maybe you don't agree with but when she's set up this kind of separate society she's able to make it pure in that sense mm-hmm. of the people who are giving the money, she views as having integrity. Therefore, their votes of integrity matter. That's right. right? So if somebody inherited a bunch of money, right. they are not... They haven't earned it. They haven't they're, earned it. Yeah, they're not, um, they're not worthy of the money. Correct. Um, so um, in that sense, it's it's very much a like... Um, like I said, there's a lot in it that you listen to and you're like, there's, there's a lot that's attractive here. And then there's a lot of sort of implications of that that are childish, I don't know, yes. idealistic, right. um, and, and don't really fit into society. And AJ, you're, um, um, yeah, you, 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 your question that you asked earlier is sort of a good one uh, about like, um, why is that the limit? Yeah. Why is violence the limit? Um, yeah. Why, why have violence be the limit? And, um, anyway, cause I would assume that if we are all traders and we are all trying to like crush at business, then isn't there, there, there has to be conflict there as well. Like it's a free market. And so there's going to be conflict and there's going to be some, if, if I am taking a piece of the market, I'm doing violence to your chunk of the market. Right. Mm -hmm. So why, why does physical violence, I I guess that's a merit thing. Like I'm selling better products. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you do the better shoe shine, then you deserve more money is I think how she would look at that. But you're right. That is a form of violence. And I've, and I've never necessarily seen even our market system as a place where merit merit reigns oh really yeah i mean our our, like i don't know in our free market sometimes the the companies that will do the dirtiest deeds are the ones that succeed and the the ones that like maybe do the best marketing and sell terrible products right which isn't necessarily like maybe that's a a type of its own merit but i don't i don't think there's a one-to-one between our market and the meritocracy yeah so products that like prey on human weakness but make a lot of money doing it uh, it's an, it would be an interesting question to see like what she thinks about it. Yeah, would she see that as like a genius? Like, 
uh, use like sort of weaponizing human attention to make money. Would she say that that is a great good or would she see that as a form of like intellectual looting or whatever? I don't know. That's a really interesting question. And you're also subject to market whims, right? You might have a wonderful product and just never have the capital to get it going. Or maybe you you happen to bring out your product right when COVID hits and nobody's like you invented the best new car. No one's driving. Right. Right. So. Like there's also market forces at work there that might steal your merit, even though you deserve it. So I don't know. That that's always the question. Like it seems very you make your own self, but there there are forces out there that you come up against where you like the making doesn't work, go out go so well. Mm-hmm. She probably wouldn't view luck as an important part of what makes a business happen. I don't think so. Right. Even though it objectively has to be right. It, um, it's got to be. Yeah. So maybe this also kind of open up a little bit in regards to the motivations of people. Um, You who speak of a moral instinct, as if it were some separate endowment opposed to reason. Man's reason is his moral faculty. A process of reason is a process of constant choice in answer to the question, true or false, right or wrong, is a seed to be planted in soil in order to grow, right or wrong, is a man's wound to be disinfected in order to save his life, right or wrong, does the nature of atmospheric electricity permit it to be converted into kinetic power? right or wrong. It is the answers to such questions that give you everything you have, and the answers come from a man's mind, a mind of intransigent devotion to that which is right. This is probably the weak point of the philosophy. We can reason our way into morals. Is that you can reason your way into morals, but this is also a really interesting point for us as classical teachers because in the ancient world, morality, the, the, the seat of ethics was reason, that that at least up until more modern times, it was believed that you can reason, that it was your rational faculties that determined the right answer to a question. So That's what she's arguing. And that is what she's arguing. Um, um, But I... uh, Maybe it's that. We may need to do work to talk about, like, how reason and rationality and reasonableness was understood in the ancient world versus the, like enlightenment reason that we kind of talk about nowadays, kind of divorced from spirituality. Oh, anyway. interesting. That might come up in our next episode. Maybe. Yeah, we're going to talk about original I mean, the, the old guys would reason that some things were worthy of having in and of themselves, like Plato's book about being a just person, mm-hmm. right? That, I mean, that's that's what the Republic is all about, is, is justice worth having in and of itself as its own quality? And his answer eventually was yes. Yeah. But... I don't know. I also have a beef with like reasoning yourself into eventually you're going to reach a bedrock. And I think we've, we've talked about this several times on the, on the podcast where there is an, a premise that cannot be proven, right? That life is being alive is good. It is a good in and of itself. Health is a good in and of itself. Yeah. And I also, I think, I think she actually takes those premises um, and 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 holds on to them strongly. Like I, sh- I think she yeah, would it seems say like she's adhering that to them. health is an inherent good, and the person who's working towards the body's health is and is trying to thing. figure out these these things is not only going to be a good for everybody else in society, but if he's allowed to practice that and is compensated for that um, and can survive based on working, based on the fact that he submitted his mind to the fact that human health is good for the world and I'm going to be a facilitator of it. Right. That is going to drive his happiness. I think she's right in that. I think I th- that that is a satisfying way to exist. Yeah, I think she might be right. I think I think the the hitch in her system is not necessarily the, the devotion to these premises and saying that reason is a piece of it. I think the hitch is that she assumes 
human reason will always lead to the same place Correct. and reality will always be clear to the reasonable. Yes. yes. Because okay. the fact that she had to write this book is evidence to the contrary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, yeah. If human reason always leads to the most reasonable like method for rightness, then she, she wouldn't have to write this book. We would have figured it out ages ago. It does come across as like, how come you idiots aren't as smart as me? Yeah, exa- yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, how, that's, that's a, the point. That's how she pr- uh, puts forth her opponents, though. None, yes. None of, there are no charitable villains in this. They're Correct. all idiots or yeah. sycophants or a bunch of uh, like government workers, right? Aren't yeah. they, like a lot of, anyway, like they, just a really <laughs> negative view on those, on those workers. Yes, people who sort of uh, make their place in the world through um, submission, politics or submission or like um, uh, narrative, like weaving lies for yes, people to believe. Yes. Um, and, and in that, like, that's also, uh, that is a worthwhile thing to observe in the world. Like she is not wrong in saying that um, there can be, you can engender an entire culture of people um, trying to weave narratives for themselves to like extract value from other people and not actually produce anything good right. in this world. That sure. does exist. Sure. And there's a lot of that. And but, she have no taste but, for that. <laughs> but she would say it's probably a much larger portion of the population. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, she's, she's putting forth that these kind of like heroes of society are a very small number of yes, people. And, they, and then... Um, you'll miss us when we're gone. That's yeah. And that's, that's sort of the story, is yes. that when they go, the world falls apart, right? <laughs> literally. Uh, and, the, and people sort of have no more value to extract. So yeah. what would she say to the question we brought up on the, on the Existentialism is, is a Humanism podcast, where there is a fellow and he is the last of his brothers that is still living in warfare, and his mother wants him to stay yeah, home, yeah. but he wants to go fight for his country. Reason cannot lead you to a conclusion here. Um, she would probably conclude that if you if he's fighting for the only if he's fighting for his country because he grew up uh, and someone told him that dying for Canada was the thing to do, then he's an idiot. Well, let's just say he loves Canada. Okay, he want, he has determined that what he wants is to preserve the Canadian way of life, and his death is going to do that. Then she would say, "Go for it." Yes, but how how is that better than staying with your mother, whom he also loves? He has determined that he loves his mom and wants to stay. But, I guess you would say that either choice, as long as he has. Um, chosen it for he himself. He has chosen himself. it for himself yeah. okay. is justifiable. It's probably not that far because off. it's authenticity, right? right. Authenticity. So it's so not this, that far off from existentialism. Yeah, yeah. and it sounds very similar to yeah. It sounds like the the answer to the existentialist question, right. which is you were presented Make with it. life, yeah. figure out what to do with it, and right. it sounds very close to Nietzsche's philosophy as well. Like the Ubermensch is one who submits to no one and revalues, like chooses his own values for himself, mm-hmm. right, and wills to power, which is it sounds like. What, what is happening here? here. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they're all, all pretty close to each other. And so she's she came from a time in history in the Russian culture where the sort of cohesive vibrancy of the culture was had decayed enough that something like communism could come in and easily sort of sweep it aside. So um, there's something about. If you let that, what she sort of calls this culture of death, this culture of not taking risks, not making anything of value, not putting yourself out there, and 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 uh, using your reason to to sort of follow your rational best interest, if there are too few of those sorts of people, or if the greater society at large makes it too difficult for those people to survive, so like if Elon Musk invents. Um, a better battery for a car and the government comes in and takes the, the plans for that 
and says anybody else who does this car battery is going to prison and then they sell like America cars uh, that use this technology. Um, uh, um, she would say that like it would not be unreasonable for Elon Musk to be like, peace, I'm out of here. Right. I'm getting out of this place. And she would probably cheer him on for doing so. She says, so if the world kind of got to the place where um, it was no longer uh, available, if, if people who wanted, who people who were sort of productive in that way kind of got robbed every time they did something good, then that society is going to break down. Um, or maybe we were even talking on the car ride over. Like if you have a very... If you have a lot of people that um, have like a guaranteed salary, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's very hard for them to get fired right. um, and they have a guaranteed salary and they're kind of working for retirement. Um, there, it makes total sense that over time they will do a lot to try to get out of doing the hard parts of their job, right? right? If it's very hard for somebody to get fired, um, then you're going to see the quality of their work degrade if they're only doing it for the paycheck and not for any of these other extringent things like they've reasoned themselves into saying this is the way I want, this is how I want to live my life, I want to do this work, I am getting, I'm sort of getting uh, f- compensated fairly for the work that I'm doing. And um, um, so you can, you can have pockets of culture or maybe even that kind of ethos can infect an entire culture where... Um, it has lost its sort of momentum and its uh, sure. ability to sort of grow and sustain itself. And yep. she says, we, Soviet Russia was like this, and which is why America was a sort of bastion of freedom. And um, but insofar, she's writing this book to sort of say, like, hey, look what happens if, if you know, the taker, if people with guns and people with power and people that don't follow their rational self-interest but just take things from those who do, if they are the ones that are in control before long. It is going to be a cultural suicide thing. This is, if I'm not wrong, is it kind of what Gibbons argues about yeah. uh, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire? That over time, like society kind of lacks, its, loses its mojo, right. kind of loses its belief in its project. Yeah. And they're just trying to. Um, and they're just trying to extract value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so there's lots of people out there that are like, oh my goodness, this is the modern Western world that we live in. That we've stopped believing in the in the in the sort of the the progressive. Um, 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 sort of momentum of the project uh, of the West, of, yeah. Of, of yeah of the project of the Enlightenment of, of free market capitalism and now we're just in an extractive uh, society where we're all just trying to um, take money from one another and no one's making anything and this thing's gonna I mean she she was very much worried about that kind of thing and right. I think a lot of modern adherents to Ayn Rand continue that um, sort of fear mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's you true or not but you anyway. want to say it? Um, um, Do you feel that way? I is that what you find interesting about the philosophy? I think that her that by um, there is something to adding nobility to people who live authentically that I think is fair. Sure. That I think is a good thing, and 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 something that's not that's kind of lost. I know that in your David Hicks episode next, you're going to be t- you know that that story about. Um, uh, the cynical age, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I think that is a helpful heuristic. Dividing the world into two kinds of people maybe is kind of like overly simplistic. I think a lot of people, um, um, yeah, I think that's an overly simplistic thing. But I do think that every man at some point in their life needs to say, am I 
providing. Uh, basically, am I mooching off? Am I mooching off everybody else, or am I am I making a go of this on my own two feet? Right. But on the other hand, like you, we need to be humble and say, like, we you know we have education and teachers and and old books and uh, uh, and and and, and um, role models and right. all of these kinds of things. We don't just sort of like self actualize to sure. to our own things. Like we ha- there has to be that net that communal that there has to be that community that raises up the child into honorable manhood. Right. Because um, you could see there being no way to reconcile any differences. That as soon as something is unpleasant, as soon as you don't enjoy something, mm-hmm. you just, you're out of it. Mm-hmm. So again, framing it with relationships earlier, which was, I think, the quote at the very end, to never live for the sake of someone else. Mm-hmm. You'll be a very lonely person mm-hmm. if you're never willing to give just for the sake of giving to another person. Yeah. What about the... Sorry, were you... Well, the last thing I was going to say about that was, like, I think she has a strong belief that... Um, so usually the stereotype is is that people read uh, read Atlas Shrugged and they, they kind of become like pig-headed people who yes. can never do wrong again right. uh, in their own mind. Right. And she would say, I think she has a strong enough belief that like the perception of reality is going to be enough to that people will know that they are wrong yes. because they'll perceive it and they will say, I am wrong and you are right. And I will sort of, act, you know, case closed, right. matter, matter settled. Uh, and I will go back and reassess and course correct and then come back and try to be right in the future. That's sort of, I think, how she thinks human beings will operate, and that's the naive, naivete. Yeah, like sure. People are, are... No one does that, right? No or, one does that. Or she says if they do, then they're engaging in that culture of of death or they're sort right. of turning into that kind of person that is is building their life on the way that they can spin narrative to make themselves come on top as opposed to being like authentically honest about um, their place in this world. Sure. So I think if she, if somebody said like, um, I'm not too bright. I enjoy being a janitor. I want I want to uh, uh, do this job forever and I enjoy doing it. And I understand that this is as much as I can handle. I think she would be like, yes, awesome, right. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas if somebody was the CEO of a company, um, but um, didn't have the intellectual horsepower to maintain right. the thing, but everyone like loved them. Right. She would be, she would sort of treat them like they're a sycophant. They've just kind of sucked exactly. up everyone around them. They're just promoted yes. because they're the most convenient person. She would condemn that person yeah. much more than the janitor. She would hate the trust fund person. Yes. Whereas the person who said, I have chosen. taken an honest assessment of myself and my abilities. And this is the world that I have chosen. And this is the, the I, and I want to pursue my, my work with dignity, she would be like, that's awesome. Hey, yeah. I mean, AJ, I know you, you talk about um, teaching and you talk about uh, um, um, contentment in, in very much those kinds of ways, right? Like um, that you, I don't know. I, I, I think of you as the type of person who says, I'm very honest with myself and my what I have and what I do and what I love. and um, And I think that's, sort of a noble position like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it almost seems like contentment goes you, directly. You don't, yeah. As opposed yeah, you, you don't, you're not pig headed. Um, you don't think you're worse than you are and you, you don't have like, um, sort of, uh, a, 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 an over inflated view of, of who you are. And there's that authenticity thing. But I also think that contentment goes almost directly against what she's saying. That yes. greed is good. I should make the world what I want it to be. There, I, 
a certain element of my contentment comes from being okay with the world as it is. Yeah, she doesn't exactly. She doesn't have a category for things are good enough. Things are good enough. Right. Um, but yeah, the like thing when, is, when have you done it? When did you get there? But her characters, the ones that sort of like fully view this philosophy, are content, and they sort of are like they're satisfied, cool yeah. with making what they make. Yeah. In Galt's Gulch, right? Is it like happiness is the journey? Like the journey is the word. No, it's just that they're happy to be living in a society where, like, they are compensated for their rational self-interest. Sure, yes. Uh, but they are satisfied, and it's not just about, I need to make the next, the next engine. It's, I enjoy the work that I'm doing right now mm-hmm. and enjoy the people that are around right now. Again, it, it's just not as... So is there a disconnect between her the, the philosophy encouraging you to remake the world and yeah. what you want it to be and being totally chilled doing the work you're doing? I don't... Because I think of it much more at the individual level as opposed to the remake society level. It's in the same way that like Adam Smith has his invisible hand that each person seeking their own self-interest, the baker making the best bread he can make and the, um, what are they called when you make shoes? Cobbler. The, the cobbler making the best shoes he can. Oh, I love cobbler. I love mm. cobbler. Um, that makes each of them wealthier and also makes society better because you have more pies and more cobbler. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, so, um, <laughs> it was a good joke. I'm you. on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's what she's getting at of those two aren't separate from each other. Society gets better from individuals doing their best. Um, and everyone benefits from that. Did you guys already address what happens to the, the crippled or stupid? No. And, and so or the, crippled like if, or if my reason yeah. is not functioning right, or, or I don't have the capability mm-hmm. to do the work I want yes. to do. Um, she doesn't have a moral category or at least she doesn't talk about it. If somebody, is maimed in war or if somebody has Down syndrome, like, or whatever. She just, I, she doesn't really have, yeah, actually. If my um, reason is liable to be fallible. Yes, if, you know, reason is, um, um, it is, yes, she, um, there is only one price that pays for man's survival reason. So man's capacity to be, re- to reason is the, the measure of his value as opposed to some sort of innate dignity by being a human. And that's a massive divergence from a Christian claim that you are, you are human beings have dignity because they're made in God's image, as opposed to you have dignity because of what you can produce because you have self-actualized by using rational self-interest. Yeah. So the Mm non-productive is, I guess, the question. Mm -hmm. What happens with the people who aren't productive or cannot be productive? Can I just read? This is just, again, I'm just Googling, but while Rand did not believe that we have a moral duty to help those who are disabled, so there's that. Sure. She had nothing against private voluntary charity, giving of oneself to help others or to those whom we care about. For her, charitable giving can only be socially benevolent when it is a voluntary extension of one's values. But then doesn't that go about, like, never living for the sake of someone else? Yeah. Um... I um, guess she would get around it by saying, like, you're not living for the sake of somebody else. It is based, sort of born out of your own choice, right? Yes. But your choice, but not your self-interest. Uh, if your self-interest is that I like having this person around. <laughs> yeah, or the feeling of helping others can be a benefit to you if that's the feeling you enjoy. But you're right. It is a weak spot. It's, it's a weak spot. Right? It, seems like yes. a, yeah, yeah. it seems like some sort of internal, con, you know, internal weak spot. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, her, yeah, so I... Um, there's another passage that I wanted to read, just kind of going back to that, the, her um, diagnosis of the kind of problem, that there is a pitfall that human beings can fall into in regards to being willfully blind about the reality of the world. Yeah. Um, so let me read this. Um, Thinking is man's only basic virtue, from which all the others proceed. And his, be- and, and his basic vice, the source of all his evils, is that nameless act which all of you practice but struggle never to admit. 
The act of blanking out, the willful suspension of one's consciousness, the refusal to think, not blindness, but the refusal to see, not ignorance, but the refusal to know. It is the act of unfocusing your mind and inducing an inner fog to escape the responsibility of judgment. On the unstated premise that a thing will not exist if you refuse to identify it, that A will not be A so long as you do not pronounce the verdict, it is. Non-thinking is an act of annihilation, a wish to negate existence, an attempt to wipe out reality. Um, that I always think of... Um, um, do you remember when, uh, uh, during the Iraq war, um, you had that spokesperson for Saddam's regime, and he would go on TV and he'd be like, the American forces are not in Baghdad. And then in the background, you can see like the tanks rolling through. You know, you know, <laughs> I, don't remember that, I think he received the nickname Baghdad Ali. I can't oh. remember his name, but, um, but he, he sort of became that sort of joke. Like, uh, every, like nothing to see here. Everything is fine. Like he's clearly having to spin a narrative for whatever reason, but she's sort of talking about that, like the willful desire to not see the problem because of the implications is something that human beings do. And for her, that's sort of like the unforgivable sin. Right. Uh, which I think is, that, I also think that's fair. But the, it, it's a fallacy, isn't it? To say we should not take, you, you don't think something is true because you're uncomfortable with what that implies? It might, might be. It's a logical fallacy, I'm pretty sure. Explain. Uh, I wish I remember the name oh. of it, but... But the willful, like, ignor- it, well, willfully okay. ignoring something is what makes it the logical fallacy? Or you're just saying this can't be true. Because... Why is that... Why can't that be true? Because it would mean that I have to, like, stop... Sure. Talking. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yes. Yeah, right? no, but but if... Um, insofar as that's the reason why you're ignoring the thing, she, that's, the, that's unforgivable. Right. Um, Which lines up with rationality being the utmost yeah. virtue. I, I mean, so... Um, another little line is, like... Um, it's called the appeal to consequences. Gotcha. That's the name of the fallacy. Mm. The um, um, what's, what's uh, the abstaining from demolition is not the same thing as building, right? Like that's kind of a, a thing sure. that that is, is part of this. It's like the, you are either going to be an active participant in your own life, or you are going to sort of give in to this culture of not seeing, this culture of death, and. Um, and she, she sort of breaks the world into those two different kinds of people. I see that we're almost at an hour, so we're not going to get to crime and punishment. Uh, maybe this will be, yeah, maybe it's the next time. So maybe as a little trailer, or maybe we could put it in the after episode. Uh, maybe, uh, but I kind of want to maybe because I, I want maybe I, I kind of want to talk about the, the the original sin, but just as sort of a teaser for the next episode, um, Dostoevsky a hundred years before her had a, has a similar has a character utters to sort of talk about like a similar conception of the world. Um, so that, I wonder if it was like a Russian thing, but anyway. Um, but, uh, and he has a very different sort of take on it about um, those who think they are special um, versus everybody else. Um, and uh, I kind of wanted to put those sort of two pieces together and see if, uh, if we could make anything of it. But um, anyway, that's in essence a bit of objectivism and John Galt's speech. Um, she gets a bad rap on the internet. Uh, she, she is sort of like the patron saint of 14-year-old boys yeah, sure. and like Silicon Valley in many yes. ways, yeah. um, which I think is kind of unfair. Again, it's one of those situations where like uh, you shouldn't let the the adherence of the, uh, the the bad adherence of the philosophy like dictate how you should think about it. You should sure. go read the thing yourself. Yeah, right. Or um, just listening to the memes instead of... And yeah, don't... Yeah, the memes... Um, anyway, don't necessarily contain 
the whole of the truth. Right. But um, but yeah, that's. Uh, I always trust memes. There you go. <laughs> Good. And on that note, we'd like to close. This has been classical stuff you should know. Uh, this is from you know AJ Graham and Thomas. Hello. If you would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon. Patreon slash classical stuff. I think Only from your own choice. <laughs> yes. We are not forcing you to do it. You this must. You are rationally deducing that. It is in your own self-interest. There's great content on there. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. AMAs, the in-between episodes, all kinds of good stuff. But we are freely asking for charity, yeah, so please, we're not following yes. her philosophy oh, at yes, all. Yes, also that. And you can also find our website, classicalstuff.net. You can hit us on the tweeters at, at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. And is there, am I missing any of them? Email us Email at theguysatclassicalstuff.net. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the whole episode. You did it. You finished it. Good job, everybody. If you're a new listener, this is, this is number one. So <laughs> you can pat yourself on the back today. You did, you did something for your own education. That's so right. go back and listen to all of our episodes. If you want, here. you oh, know, okay. or, you know, like make yourself a good lunch. Okay. It's up to you. you know, just have a good day. Whatever you choose. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. as long as good. you are choosing it. That's okay. Good. I'm choosing to end it. Bye.